right. So again, welcome. I am Billy Creech. I'm your campus pastor. And I just, I want you to picture this. I want you to picture the year 100 AD. It's about 70 years after the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Are you picturing this in your mind? You're in a Roman world at that time, and you have this Roman senator named Pliny the Younger. And Pliny the Younger writes a letter to a friend. He's a friend writing a letter to a friend on behalf of this third party. The third party is this freedman. Now, a freedman means he used to be a slave, but he's not a slave anymore. He used to be, but now he's a freed man. Freedman is a freed man. I just want to read this letter to you. Again, this is from 100 AD. We're going to put it up on the screen for you as well. Pliny writes to his friend named Sibineus, and he says this. He says, you told me you'd been angry with a freedman of yours, and now he's come to see me. He threw himself at my feet and clung on to me as though I were you. He wept a lot. He asked for a lot. He kept quite a lot too. To sum it up, He made me believe that he was genuinely sorry. I think he's had a change of character because he really does feel that he did wrong. Yes, I I know that you're angry. And I know, too, that you have a right to be angry. But mercy earns most praise when anger is fully justified. Once you loved this fellow, I hope you'll love him again. But for the moment... It's enough if you let yourself be placated. You can always be angry again if he deserves it. Then you'll have all the more reason if you've been placated. Now, he's young. He's in tears. You have a kind heart. Make all that count. Don't torture him. Don't torture yourself either. Anger is always torture for a soft heart like yours. I'm afraid it'll look as though I'm putting pressure on you, not simply making a request if I join my prayers to his. But I'm going to do it anyway all the more fully and thoroughly because I've given him a sharp and severe talking to. I've warned him clearly that I won't make such a request again. This is because he needed a good fright, and I said it to him rather than you because it's possible that I shall make another request and receive it too, always supposing it's an appropriate thing for me to ask and for you to grant. Yours sincerely. So I read this letter to you because it's a letter from a friend to a friend on behalf of a third party, a former slave. And today, we are starting a brand new sermon series. It's uh, on the book of Philemon. In fact, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the New Testament book of Philemon now. Philemon is a letter, interestingly enough, it's written from a friend to a friend on behalf of a third party, this former slave. Both letters come from the Roman world. They're written, church, they're written about 40 to 50 years apart from each other. They're both really about the same topic. The topic is, I'm asking, I'm, I'm giving this plea for restoration. I, I'm giving this plea to say, we want to see this relationship between you and your former slave. We want to see that restored. But that's really where the similarities in the two letters stop. You see, the first letter is to a, to a person based on a secular friendship. Based on a secular friendship. The second, Paul's letter to Philemon, is really about a sacred fellowship. Not a secular friendship, but a sacred Fellowship. The series is called Reconciled Between Two Worlds, and I'm fired up about this series for a very specific reason. Sometimes we'll have a sermon series, and you'll sit there and you'll think, well, this one's not really for me. 
You know, he's talking a lot about singleness today, and I'm married, or he's talking about marriage, and I'm single. And so I think there's times that a sermon series, although we're growing and learning together, maybe it doesn't hit you as hard as others do. Does that make sense? Like sometimes there's sermons, and you're going, yeah, I mean, this is good to know. It just, it's not as applicable to me. This one's different, though. If you're a follower of Jesus, there's only two groups in here. One, I've got people who are followers of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus... We know that our calling is to Christ Jesus. We know that our calling is to say God's ways are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we need to align our ways with his ways. But sometimes, church, what we do is we see the way the world responds. And if we're not careful what we do, we've talked about this so often, we start to drift, don't we? And we don't mean to. We don't try to. But all of a sudden, our actions, our words, our attitudes start to echo those of the world. Right, And so this is a good series because it kind of realigns us with our calling to the gospel. Or you're here as someone who's exploring the Christian faith. And, and what I love is as you're exploring the Christian faith, I know the reality in your life. You have a mom or a dad, a brother, a sister, a son or a daughter, an employee, an employer, a girlfriend, boyfriend, husband. You have relationships, and in those relationships, sometimes there's points of tension. Sometimes there's points of conflict. And I think what you're going to see in this series is the world handles it one way. And yet our calling through Christ Jesus is a very, very different response. And so today I'm going to kind of go in reverse. I want us to first of all look at the limits of a secular friendship. So again, you have this Roman senator. His name is Pliny, P-L-I-N-Y, Pliny the Younger. He's a, a Roman politician. He is an author. He was friends with a lot of famous people. So if you start to dig into his history a little bit, you're going to be like, whoa, this guy wrote letters back and forth to emperors or historians like Tacitus. If you're kind of a history geek, you know the name Tacitus, right? He wrote letters to biographers. And here we are almost 2,000 years later, we still have gobs of his writings. All of his writings still exist. And so he was considered an educated man and a very moderate man. So in this letter that we read just a moment ago, he wrote as a friend to a friend. He didn't do this. He didn't say, I'm writing as a person of authority. I'm writing as a senator. Do what I say or I'm going to lower the boom and send the guards. Like, he didn't say that, did he? He said, I'm writing as a friend to a friend. And, and he kind of said that in a few ways. He said, I, I kind of ask things and you're supposed to grant them. But then he said, then you're going to ask things, and I'm going to grant them. That's the way friendship works. It goes back and forth. And he says, this is concerning your freedman. He says, I don't want you to torture him. Do you remember? I don't want you to, to torture him. So there's some good in it for that third party as well. So how does Pliny go about encouraging his friend Sebeneus in this reconciliation? How does he do that? Well, if we go back, we can put some of it back on the screen. He does it in a very self-seeking way. He says, mercy earns most praise when anger is fully justified. Mercy earns most praise. Pliny says, Sebeneus, you need to do this because the crowds are going to applause. They're going to think you're so good. People are going to think you're so good because your anger is justified because of that. People are going to be so impressed with you. They're going to applaud. It's going to be great. And then he says, and then he says, it's not good for a heart like yours to remain angry. You're going to get you some acid reflux. 
Like you just need to simmer it down because it's not healthy for you. You know, you need to, you need to calm down. It's good for you. Do you hear how self-seeking that? Like it's, it's all about you and how you feel and what people will think of you. And then if you look at how plenty encourages the freedman, it's very different. Did you see it? He used anger and shame to try to encourage the freedman. He says, I've given him a sharp and severe talking to. I've warned him clearly that I won't make such a request again. All right, so we live in the real world here, 2019, and we see relationships all the time. And we see the splits it makes in nations or in families or in friendships or in governments. We, we see it. And watch what happens when two people have a disagreement. Guys, they do this. This is exactly how people respond today, isn't it? This is it. What we do when we're encouraging each other, we'll say, hey, you need to let it go. Just let it go. It's not good for your heart. You need to calm down like you have a reason that you're, and that's what we try to do. We try to deal with, with frustrations today in a lot of the same way. In fact, he says, he says, you're justified in your anger. Did you see? Like anger is kind of a big theme of this. He says, you have a right to be angry, but it's not good for you to be angry, so you should allow yourself to be placated. You have a right to to be angry. He messed up. You have a right to be angry. And, but then he's like this. So allow yourself to be placated now. But he's probably going to mess up again. Like, so you're just going to get mad. It's a hamster wheel, isn't it? Like, I'm going to get really mad, and then I'm going to calm down. Then I'm going to get really mad, and I'm going to calm down. And it just keeps spinning over and over and over again. What about love, though? How does he motivate him with love? Well, here's what he says. He says, love comes and love goes. Depends on how he's acting and behaving today, right? He says, Sibineus, once you love the freedman, and I'm hoping you'll love him again. So here's what he says. As a friend to a friend, will, will you just behave? That's what he's asking. Here's the net result. This is where the whole letter's going. Will you just, will you straighten up and fly right? Will you do that just for a little bit? He's, I've already threatened him. I've already warned him. I know you're going to ask me for some things. I'm going to have to do some things, and that's all right. But will, will, you, just, will you just be good for a little bit? The freedman's already promised he's going to be good. And so just for a little bit. Now, when he messes up, you can give him a tongue lashing. You know, when he messes up, you can give him the what for. When he messes up, you can get really, really mad again. But at least for a little bit, can you just, just accept it? And it's financially going to be good for you. You know, that freedman's not going to cost near as much as another Roman citizen would cost. And so this is going to be a win-win for everybody. I'm still going to sit here at my desk, my Roman senator desk. I wrote the letter. I sent it off, and I am good to go. Like, I did everything I'm supposed to do. So I'm asking you just to make this happen. That's what friendship looks like, secular friendship. You be good. I'll be good. But we know it only lasts for a little bit, and we're going to get mad, and eventually we'll blow up, and we'll be mad and not talk, and we'll separate for a little bit. But then we'll agree to be good again, and it just keeps circling, doesn't it? That's the way it works. That's very, very different than what we see from Paul. What we see from Paul is we see the freedom of a sacred fellowship. Fellowship is different than friendship. You'll see that as we continue on. So this is about 30 years after the death and the resurrection of Jesus. About 30 years after, Paul is in prison. Church, Paul is in prison, and he is personally, you'll see it, he's personally writing this letter to his friend Philemon. And he's writing on behalf of a former slave of Philemon's named Onesimus. And here's what it says. This is, I'm going to start in verse 8, Philemon 8. It says, accordingly, 
Though I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what's required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but by your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. So again, this is a letter from a friend to a friend on behalf of another. And so Paul's posture isn't demanding, is it? But you saw in that very first line, verse 8 there, Paul says, just so we're clear, I could be demanding. Like I could just jump out there and I could use some authority here, but I'm, I'm writing from a friend to a friend. I'm writing from a brother to a brother. That's the posture. But look at the motivation. When you look back at the motivation, I encourage you to spend time in this book this week. It won't take long. It'll take you just a few minutes to read through all of Philemon. What you're going to see is Paul never uses this self-serving motivation like Pliny the Younger did. Right? Paul doesn't say the crowds are going to applause. It's not about that. He doesn't say, hey, it's going to be really good for your heart so that you don't get the acid reflux. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say anything like that. Here's what he says to motivate him. He tells him your identity is what's at stake. Look at verse 17 again. He says, receive him as you would receive me. Receive him as you would receive me. He says, you know, we're friends. You and I, we consider each other brothers. So if I showed up, let's say I got out of prison and I showed up, I already know what would happen. Philemon, what would happen is you would open your arms and you would greet me as a brother. You would bring me in. And anything in your home would be mine. And anything I have would be yours. That's how you would treat me. I'm asking you to do the exact same thing. And if he owes you anything, Paul says, charge it to me. Do you see that? Paul says, just charge it to me. I'm not even going to bring up the fact that you still owe me. And you know that you owe me. I'm not even going to bring that up. You let me know what he owes you and I'll pay it. Isn't that incredible? This is Paul. Can you see this? This is Paul stepping between these two men, grabbing a hold of them and pulling them together. That's what he's doing right in this scene. And he does it in this place where it's really not about a friendship. It's about a fellowship. It's about the Greek word koinonia. 
Koinonia is so much bigger than, hey, we work together and we talk at the water cooler sometimes. This is bigger than that. This is this, is this kind of a thing. This is really what I have is yours and what you have is mine. There's this fellowship that's taking place. Paul makes his request to Philemon and makes it clear that Onesimus is no longer to be viewed as a slave. Do you see that? He says he is a beloved brother. He says in verse 10, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became while in my imprisonment. Verse 15 and 16, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, so that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother. And then look down at verse 17. Verse 17 says, if you consider me your partner, circle the word partner, that's the word quanonos, which is the same root word as quanonia. Do you see that? So partner and, and, and brother, these words are working together with the same root word. So essentially Paul says, if it's true that we belong to the same faith, if it's true that we belong to the same fellowship, if it's true that we belong to the same God, if it's true that we belong to the same baptism, if it's true that, that we are in the same quantity together, receive Onesimus as you would receive me. This is powerful. What about anger? Because Pliny talked a lot about anger. What does Paul say? Well, keep reading because he doesn't say a thing, church. You can keep reading. He never mentions it, does he? And yet you and I, were smart people, and so we know we can read this and we can say, clearly there's some anger there. Clearly there's something that upset him. You don't go opposite ways of each other and say, we're done, you and I, without there being some anger. True? You don't walk away from your parents. You don't walk away from your kids. You don't walk away from your spouse. You don't walk away from your friend without saying, an employee. Like, you don't walk away from each other like that without there being some type of hurt and some type of anger. Clearly, there's anger there. Paul just doesn't care. Well, it's not even that he doesn't care. It's just that the calling is bigger. Do you see that? What does he do? He tells Philemon, here's how to deal with your anger. That's what he does. Plenty never does that, does he? Here's what Plenty says. Plenty says, be placated for a while. Like, like just put your anger on the shelf for a little bit. He's going to make you mad again, and you can, then you'll be justified, and you can be mad again. It's even more justified because you did stop being mad for a while, but it's just going to be the circle thing that keeps happening. Paul doesn't even talk about the anger. What does he talk about? He talks about the identity in Christ Jesus. That's what he does. Look back at your Bibles. Uh, Philemon 4 and 5, look what he says. He says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and all the saints. Do you hear that? Look at verse 7. Verse 7. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Paul says, Philemon, you have a great love for the Lord you have a great love for his people. I'm calling you to live it out even in difficult situations. Do you see that? You have a great love for the Lord. You have a great love for people. I'm asking you to live it out even in difficult situations. He's speaking love and life into him. And I hope that you do that. Because it's easy to be a naysayer, isn't it? It's easy to be critical. It's easy to look at Facebook and be like, oh, I'm going to like talk mean about people. It's easy to do that. 
Now, it's easy to turn on the news and then walk around talking about that group and that group, right? It's so easy to do. And yet Paul saying, no, our calling is bigger. Your identity is in Christ Jesus. And people see that example. I love that. He does that. He says, other people say that you have this reputation. They see that reputation in you. I'm calling you to do that even in the most difficult of situations. So in the first letter, the first letter from Pliny, nothing changed. Pliny is still the Roman senator. No skin in the game. I write the letter. I send it off. I'm good. Sibineus, he's still right here in the middle. He's a middleman. I've got this powerful friend, so I'm somebody, and yet I've got this, what's the freedman's name? What did, oh, we, did, we didn't say his name, did we? Because Pliny didn't even think enough of this guy to find out who he is or that he's a real guy. Look at this other letter. So different. Paul says, this isn't about me being here and Philemon, you being here and Onesimus being here. No, we are part of the same fellowship. We are all brothers in Christ. We are on the same plane together. We belong to the same fellowship. Onesimus is now a brother, and so receive him not as a slave, not as a brother of lesser status, but receive him as you would receive me. But don't miss the real difference. The real difference. The first letter there's three people talked about in the letter, right? There's Pliny, Sebeneus, and the freedman. The second letter, Paul's letter in Scripture, we have Paul, Philemon, Onesimus, and, and Jesus. Do you see that? Jesus at the foundation of everything that's being discussed, which brings us to the big idea. If there's one thing you remember today, remember this. Jesus brings the new world of sacred fellowship. Jesus brings a new world of sacred fellowship. You see, we live in a world that's fractured. We live in a world that's broken. We live in a world that has kind of a, a messed up view of love. And you and I, through our faith in Jesus, get to embrace this ministry of reconciliation. That's what we get to do. We get to embrace this ministry of reconciliation. We get to be free because we are forgiven. And so we are free to forgive and I know that that's not always easy. That's the calling we have. And I know that what we do, though, is we hear stuff like that, and, and we get, because I, I talk with people throughout the week, too, and sometimes we hear stuff like that, and we say, Pastor, that's good, but you don't know. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what my parents did to me growing up. And I'm just going to say, you're right. I, I don't know. I haven't walked in your shoes. I don't know. I don't know what that ex said about you and the way that they wrung your heart out. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what that former employer did and how they wronged you. I, I don't know. And so oftentimes what we want to do is we want to respond like the world responds. We want to respond like that first letter responded. And we want to say what you need to understand is my anger is justified. And I'm just going to kind of counter with, as a follower of Jesus, you're wrong. Our calling is to the ministry of reconciliation. But I'm going to say I get it. Like I do Get it. The timing of this sermon is interesting to me. Um, God has a way of doing that, doesn't he? The, the timing is so interesting. Thursday, last Thursday was January the 10th. Every family has some dates, right, where those dates are kind of markers in your spiritual life or in just whatever. Like those are important dates to use a family. January the 10th is an important date uh, to our family. It's 10 years, right? 
And I know most of you have already heard this story, and so just bear with me. I'm going to share it. But what I did, I got on Facebook, because everyone's posting these pictures. Have you seen the pictures? Like, here's what I look like with my first update, and here's what I look like. Now. So I was like way back in my Facebook archives. I, if you don't know what I'm talking about, get on Facebook. It's pretty funny. Like, here's me 10 years ago, and here's me now. I look the same, but most people look different. <laughs> most people... Most people have changed, but I really haven't changed that much. So anyway, I was back in 2009, and I was reading my updates, and the conclusion I came to is I, I updated a lot more back then, and I would update about football and about the weather and about all kinds of stuff. Like, I would just update all the time. So I just want to read you some of those updates. It's intriguing to me, and so I just wanted to share it with you. And so I went back to 2009. 2009, here were the updates. This Actually, it was a few days before the 10th. The 8th, I said this. Let's go Sooners. Tim Tebow is so classy, but I really want him to get beat tonight. Tim Tebow did not get beat that night, just in case you forgot. Um, he was in college, didn't he? Isn't that weird? Like, I don't know. It's weird to me. So the 9th, this is the day before the 10th. The 9th, jumping on the scooter. Scooter days right there. Jumping on the scooter to go and meet with Mr. Kent Stewart later on that day. 58 degrees equals a very chilly ride on the... I was in Tucson, and so your body acclimates, just so you know. I was freezing to death at 58, and this is no joke. I had cold weather gear, like the cold weather gloves that can do like sub-Arctic temperature. I had all the cold weather gear because it was 58 degrees. I was so cold. Freezing cold. 58 equals a very chilly ride on the fast red scooter. Finally home. It's been a great day. The 10th, this is the day it all happened. That morning, I said, starting the day with a family breakfast. I'm really curious as to how this day will go. I, I'd never said that before. I'm curious as to how this, and you know what? I've, I've never written that since. I, I don't know that I will ever write that again. Uh, but that's what I wrote that morning. I'm really curious as to how that day will go. At 11.30 at night, there were some more updates, but at 11.30 at night, I said, okay, we're almost uh, home from having dinner. This was a Saturday. Church, I'm a pastor. Saturday, it was at 11.30 at night. I said, we're almost home. Think about that. We're almost home from Justin and Alex's house from having dinner. I just have a little bit more sermon prep to do. I've aged a little bit in the last 10 years because I would never do that today, just so you know. I'm not going to your house till 11.30 at night and then going to prep the sermon. It is not going to happen. It takes all day Saturday now. Like, that is my Saturday. That's what I do. Um, and shortly after I posted that to Facebook is when we got the phone call. And again, I know most of you know about the phone call, but for those of you that don't, this was the very next morning. Here's what I posted. I said, please pray. Amy's dad, uncle, and grandparents were killed in a car accident. Her mom is in the ICU we're trying to figure out how to get us to Houston. A few hours later, I said, we just dropped Amy off at the airport. The boys and I will be driving. We're on the road. Thank you all for the beautiful support. A couple of hours later, I just talked with Carla, Amy's mom. Her spirits sound strong. The next day, because it took a few days to drive from Tucson to Houston, I said, I think I just pulled a neck muscle while sneezing. Brilliant. <laughs> My humor was just as weirdly timed 10 years ago as it is now. Um, so here's the story, if you don't know the quick version. A young man at 11.30 on a Saturday morning decided to street race against a motorcycle. He was going about 142 miles an hour when he hit a car holding Amy's parents. 
um, her mom had unbuckled to buckle up her dad and was thrown from the vehicle. Everyone else in the car died. Um, so this, this guy who was driving the car, he killed his 18-year-old girlfriend. He killed Amy's dad. He killed Amy's nana and papa, grandma and grandpa. Uh, killed her uncle. And it almost killed her mom. But her mom lived through it, and the driver lived through it. And that next year was, was challenging. You know, working through, just spiritually working through the emotions, physically working through helping, helping Amy's mom get through all the rehab. And that next year, that next year, the next February, was the trial. It's, it's a weird feeling. I'm just going to tell you, it's a very weird feeling to... Um, Stand in a courtroom just a few steps away from the guy who's responsible for turning your life upside down. It's a very bizarre feeling. And so I, I say all that to say this didn't happen. This didn't happen after a week after the accident. This didn't happen after a day. Because of a fellowship of believers, because of people walking with us through the journey, it, it did something incredible in us and how to respond to that moment. So picture this, we're in Houston, Texas, we're in a courtroom, this is right before the sentencing. Um, it's, it's not like movies, just so you know. Like in movies, you had this grand, huge courtroom, that wasn't our courtroom, it was a little bitty thing, like we were all like right there together. And during breaks, no one ever talks about breaks. In breaks in the movies, you have these huge expansive hallways, not in Montgomery County, Texas. Like in Montgomery County, Texas, you have little bitty hallways. And so literally like the um, guy who's has his life on the line to go to prison is sitting in the hallway and you're standing right next to him. Like that's just how it went. So I watched as Amy walked over to this man. Now this took a year for us to get to this place, but Amy walked over to him bent over and hugged him and said, I forgive you, Brandon. What you did was really stupid, um, but I forgive you. And uh, the Lord has your life for a reason. Don't waste it. My friends, you're called to the ministry of reconciliation. We're not called to go back and forth and say, but am I justified my anger? Am I justified because you don't know what my parents did? Am I justified because you don't know what this person who I trusted, you don't know what they did? Am I justified because... The answer is that's not the question that we should be wrestling with. As followers of Jesus, we're called to something greater. We're called to the ministry of reconciliation. As followers of Christ, we're supposed to greet each other. Now, it doesn't mean you get in a car with that guy, right? Don't be dumb. You don't, you don't get in a car with, but, but it means this ministry of reconciliation of saying, no, I want things to be right between you and I. As far as it's possible with me, I want to live at peace with everyone. That's the calling I have on my life. So how are you doing with that? Because my hope and my prayer is that you're not on this silly hamster wheel. I'm going to get mad and I'm going to put it off for a little bit because I know physically it's not good for me, but then I'm going to get mad again because they're going to do something. I, I hadn't ever thought about this until the last couple of weeks. But I told you guys a story just a few weeks ago about me repelling off the dorms. Remember that? Repelling off the girl dorms? Man, that kid who's sitting in jail right now, he's not that different than I am. Just my friend didn't fall off the roof and die. I didn't hurt anyone. I did something really stupid. It's just the grace of God that I'm standing here today. Thank you. 
thank you for letting me be your pastor. Thank you for letting me be part of fellowship with you. Because what we have in this place is so much deeper than than some kind of friendship like the world has where it just is going to go in a circle and never end. What we have is quantania. That's where we can look at each other as brothers and sisters in Christ and encourage each other towards Christ-likeness. Don't give up, my friends. Do not give up. You keep going. And it's going to cause you to have to be selfless. And it's going to cause you to face some things that you don't want to face. But I'm going to tell you, in this effort to live as Christ in this world, it's worth it. Father, we thank you for the very high calling that we have in our lives. Lord, I thank you for the brothers and sisters I have in this room. I thank you for those who walked with us 10 years ago. For those who would not be content to let us come to this place of bitterness and anger because it's not justified in my life. You have so freely forgiven me. Lord, thank you because I don't deserve that. Continue to challenge us all in what it means to so freely forgive those around us. We want to be people of peace. We want to be people of grace. We want to be people of mercy. We want to be people of reconciliation. So continue to push us in what it means to be holy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.